Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, quick question before we get into tonight's story. Are you one who likes to bet, someone who likes to gamble? Maybe not necessarily at a casino or on a large scale, but someone who would put 5 to $10 on something. Maybe a fun little game. Let me know down in the comment section below. And then at the end of this video, maybe rethink your answer. Let's get into tonight's story. A terrifying tale about the dangers of gambling. I promise you it's not going where you think it is. Let's begin. As anyone who is or has been the nerdy kid growing up can attest to, you can't help but assume the worst when the biggest bloke in class suddenly walks up to you. I took him calling me by name several times for me to stop pretending like I was reading the blank pages of my notebook. Instead of barraging me with the usual insults about my glasses, my clothes, or my bowl cut, however, he just grinned down at me and asked, Newbie, you play caps? I shook my head. My folks and I had just moved into town barely a month ago, so I obviously wasn't familiar with the local trends. Bottle Caps, or Caps, was apparently an infamous kids game that had recently made its resurgence and was being played across the entire school. I say infamous because many parents saw it as a gateway into subsequent gambling habits and actively encouraged teachers to be on the lookout for students participating in it. Ironically, that had only added to the game's sort of underground appeal. Their concerns weren't unfounded, as kids would often be coaxed by their peers into wagering their allowances or other possessions. The rules are deceptively simple. At the start of a game, each player grabs four random bottle caps from the set. Each cap would have a number written on the inside of it, showing the amount of points said cap is worth. The numbers can be 5, 10, 15, 20, or 25. The players then take turns guessing how many points the other has. Every time they're wrong, their opponent must tell them to guess either higher or lower during their next turn. If a player suspects they are being misdirected, they can call their opponent out. A player wins by either guessing the exact number of points their opponent has, catching them lying, or being called out for lying when they actually weren't. Regardless of the outcome, both players flip their caps at the end of the game, revealing their score and proving they haven't cheated. Needless to say, I lost my lunch money that day. But a few pounds was a small price for the thrill of taking part in something I wasn't supposed to. That's how it started. After a few weeks, my own parents could hardly recognize me. I'd stopped studying, which my grades inevitably began to reflect. 
The only reason I went to school was to play caps with the lads. Probably beginning to suspect what was going on, my mom started packing my lunch instead of giving me money. Unfortunately, that only resulted in me sneaking stuff out of the house that I could gamble with instead. I was much too young to grasp the concept of serious addiction, let alone realize that I was spiraling headfirst towards it. The others convinced me to stop attending classes altogether. We'd spend our weekdays behind an abandoned gym where we'd smoke, scribble pricks on the wall, and, of course, play caps. But there was also another reason we went there. Once in a while, this coolie old man from across the street would come down and pay us a visit. In hindsight, the guy was clearly unwell. He was grossly malnourished, somehow appearing skinnier and skinnier each time we saw him. His face was covered in scabs and lesions, and his eyes were perpetually bloodshot. He never gave us his name, so we just called him Mr. Sag, on account of his propensity for wearing absurdly oversized jumpers. According to him, me and his friends were the only ones who originally came up with our favorite activity back when they were around our age. Usually he'd just sit there and watch us play for a few hours before going back inside. On occasion, however... He'd challenge one of us to a game, always brandishing some crumpled 50-pound note and promising it to whoever beats him. It was an obscene amount of money from the perspective of a 12-year-old back in the early 90s. Not that we'd ever know. You would think that, for a game so reliant on chance, one of us would bound to get lucky eventually, but the shifty old nutter always managed to weasel out in the end. Every time it seemed like he was about to lose, he'd suddenly make a random guess, which just so happened to be the correct one. We were convinced he was cheating, but we couldn't figure out how. The bottle caps we used were all the same brand of Coke. There shouldn't have been any way of differentiating between them. He was either being helped by someone or had one hell of an eye for detail. Perhaps it was time we tilted the odds in our favor a little bit as well. Cheating at caps is considered a local taboo and a reliable way of getting your teeth kicked in if caught. Given the circumstances, however, we figured that turnabout was fair play. A functional set consists of four caps from each of the five perspective values, totaling at 20 per set. Giving each of them some sort of distinguishing mark would have been too obvious, especially if old Mr. Sag really was that perceptive. To mine and everyone else's surprise, it was I who came up with the idea we eventually ended up going with. The plan was to make a new rigged set made up of 16 caps worth the same amount of points. In this case, 10. And only 4 of a different one, 15. Only those four would have been marked in some ideally inconspicuous way that we could search them out from the rest. The idea was that you'd always know what your opponent has, regardless of what they pick, while also being able to ensure that there aren't more than four caps of a single value between you two, since that would have given it away. The trap was set. All that was left now was for our guest of honor to make his appearance. Mr. Sag showed up late the following afternoon. He greeted us with a wave and assumed his usual sitting spot, 
an improvised bench made out of plywood and a few cinder blocks for support. Cooper, the oldest kid in our group, didn't seem keen on waiting for a challenge to be extended. He strode up to the old man and demanded the rematch he felt he was owed. Mr. Sag offered him a passive, neutral smile, then shrugged his shoulders and joined us at the table. The rest of us took a few steps back, having just replaced the real set with the trick one and trying not to look too obviously giddy about it. The bottle caps were laid out between them. Even from a glance, I could already tell the four marked ones from the rest. Three of them were lightly scratched in different places, while the fourth had parts of its logo smeared. We tried to make the imperfections look as benign and accidental as possible. As per the rules, both players took turns shuffling the order before selecting their caps. Cooper waited for his venerable opponent to pick first. I could tell that the old man had three tens and a fifteen. In response, Cooper quickly snatched the remaining fifteens and one ten. Both checked their caps, or pretend to in the case of one of them. The game was officially underway. Cooper was the first to guess. 25, he smugly proclaimed, despite it being wrong. He likely figured that winning on his first turn might have been a bit too suspicious. The man rechecked his score and shook his head, all while maintaining his calm smile. Aya, he replied. His voice was so weak and raspy that it sounded like he was constantly struggling for air. It was his turn to guess. Hmm. How about 70? Cooper made a clicking noise with his tongue, leaned back, and gave him the thumbs down. The whole game only lasted three rounds. Mr. Sag came dangerously close to hitting his mark on both his subsequent attempts, forcing Cooper to pull the trigger and get it over with. 45. And just like that, it was over. I couldn't believe it. The plan had actually worked. Cooper shot me a sly glance, his grin wider than ever, which I couldn't help but reciprocate. He extended his hand towards the dumbstruck man standing across from him, expecting his due reward. We were all taken aback as the man's sullen grimace suddenly turned to laughter. He cackled and wheezed and then cackled some more. I'm not sure what sort of reaction we expected, but it certainly wasn't that. Before a now-confused Cooper had the chance to retract his hand, Mr. Sag had grabbed it with both of his. He shook the boy's entire arm and then triumphantly slapped the coveted 50-pound note down in front of him. I'd never seen the old man this lively before. He seemed genuinely overjoyed to have lost, as though a tremendous weight had been lifted off his shoulders. We looked on in stunned silence as he made his way over to the nearby intersection, laughing and cheering all the while. It was surreal watching him just stand there, tapping his feet against the pavement in celebratory fashion as the other pedestrians circled around him. He appeared to be waiting for something. Cars slowed down, thinking he intended on crossing, but the scraggly old geezer just 
waved to the moth with a smile. I think we broke him, boys, Cooper said in a self-satisfied tone, and then proceeded to wave his prize in each of our faces. I should have known better than to expect my contribution to be acknowledged. All of a sudden, Mr. Sag spun around theatrically, our eyes locked. He smirked, gave a bow, and, to our absolute horror, jumped backwards in front of an oncoming truck. The driver had no time to react. The initial collision sent the ragged man tumbling down beneath the wheels where his body was effortlessly crushed under the massive vehicle's weight. There was a crunch followed by a wet squelching noise that caused me to look away. All around me there were screams of panic and confusion. Ambulance! Somebody call an ambulance! A woman yelled. It was clearly much too late for that, though. The rest of the kids were quick to scatter. I felt Cooper grab me by the elbow and try to pull me back, but my body wouldn't move. It was like my soles were nailed to the ground. Maybe it was shock. Perhaps it was a feeling of guilt. Whatever the case, step by timid step, I inched forward toward the scene of the crash. Childishly, part of me still held out hope that it was all going to turn out okay in the end. Such hopes were promptly dashed as soon as I squeezed through the crowd of concerned and morbidly curious adults that had gathered around the victim. Splattered against the black tarmac was an unrecognizable pile of meat. The limbs that were still attached were bent in angles too painful to describe. There were bones protruding from the man's oversized sweater. I didn't even want to imagine what his body looked like underneath. His waist and stomach region were completely flattened, separating him in two. All that was left behind was a smear of entrails stretching up the road. His head was the only part of him that had somehow remained relatively intact. His face turned toward the sky, expression eerie and hauntingly void of emotion. Suddenly, his lips began to move. Please, let me go. Please, let me go. He repeated, chanting it over and over like a mantra. The fact that he was still alive at all was a miracle, although from the miserable Sod's perspective it was clearly anything but. My stomach turned and the man's bulging bloodshot eyes singled me out from the other bystanders. A warm trail of urine ran down my leg. His grimace twisted with anger. You, he hissed through broken teeth, you cheating little shit. What have you done? She won't let me go. She'll never let me go because of you. The horrified crowd turned to look down at me. It was too much. I let out a scream and shoved past them, running away as fast as my short legs could carry me. I never told anybody about what happened that day, not even my parents. It sort of remained this unspoken secret that everybody involved knew not to talk about. 
Ironically, the whole experience might have done the majority of us good since we quit playing caps and started attending classes again. Or at least that might have been the case if my story ended there. Years went by. It was a few days removed from my 17th birthday. It was Sunday, and I had the apartment to myself for once, which didn't happen very often. I was planning on spending the evening eating crisps and watching the most raunchy, rubbish TV show I could find when suddenly the phone rang. With nobody else around, I begrudgingly rolled off the sofa and sauntered over to pick it up. It was Cooper. It took me a moment to recognize his voice. We hadn't spoken in over three years, not for any particular reason, we just grew apart. Although he tried to maintain a friendly tone at first, it was clear there was more brimming beneath the surface. It didn't take long for the desperation to leak through. His voice cracked, and I could practically hear him holding back tears. He started telling me how sorry he was, and that he had no other choice. I did my best to encourage him to be less vague, but it made no difference. He just kept on apologizing. I decided to just wait for him to calm down before trying to make sense of his babbling. Listen, he finally said. You're at your place, right? Go check if your door and windows are locked and call the cops. Tell them that somebody's trying to break in or something. Just, just trust me. Please. I made an effort to extract more information, but my concerns remained unacknowledged. He kept insisting that I wouldn't believe him and that telling me would only make me think that he was playing a prank on me. He asked if my folks were around. I said no. Shit. Fuck. Okay. Okay. Panic was starting to set in again. Okay, I'll call the cops for you. Just make sure everything's locked tight and you find a place to hide or... You know what? Better yet, go over to your neighbors, but do it fast. You don't want to be trapped outside when it gets here. Go, now! And just like that, he hung up. I slowly placed the handset down, shut off all the lights, and walked up to the nearest window. It was pitch black outside. Droplets of rain trickled down the glass. Perhaps Cooper's insistence on remaining vague had been the right call, since it made me take the threat way more seriously than I would have otherwise. I paced back and forth, considering my options. I lived on the first floor, so while unlikely, it was definitely possible for somebody to break a window and climb in if they wanted to glanced down at the cramped entrance hall. Our upstairs neighbors were a kindly older couple that would have invited me in without question, especially after explaining my situation to them. Screw it, I thought. I'd watched enough horror movies to know what happens to that one skeptic guy who insists on ignoring all the warning signs until it's too late. I grabbed the keys off the table and headed for the door. Unfortunately, that was about as far as I got. 
Smarter men than me have debated just how far you can pervert the human form until it's no longer considered human. Not exactly qualified to determine where the line needs to be drawn, but there's one thing I do know for certain. The thing standing on the other side of that threshold, bathed in the harsh light of the staircase corridor, was definitely not human. At least not anymore. Its calcified hand shot forth and slapped against the inside of the door before I had the chance to slam it shut. I jolted back, blocking my only conventional means of escape was this misshapen husk of a figure. It was naked, apart from the grimy overcoat draped over its frame, the front of which hung open to reveal shriveled, almost mummified-looking flesh. Its body was held together by copper wire, and there were pieces of rebar connecting its upper torso to its pelvis. I have no idea how it still had use of its legs, considering that the metal bars were the only thing linking them to the rest of the skeleton. But as undeniably grotesque as the fusion of bone, gray flesh, and rusted metal was, it was its face that caused my chest to tighten. It wore a face that I instantly recognized, despite its atrophied state. Mr. Sack? Is that you? The old man, or at least what was left of him, didn't say anything, not at first. He only smiled, dry lips cracking as he did so. Just then I did notice that he was dragging some sort of tool behind. As his feet shuffled past the welcome mat, I saw it more clearly. He was wielding a crowbar. Your little friend told me where to find you. He told me everything. His voice was even weaker than I remembered. Now it was just barely above a whisper. He told me the whole thing was your idea from the start. When I tried to protest, he struck the wall with an improvised weapon, chipping it and causing me to cower in fear. I considered screaming for help, but I had a feeling that he would have taken even less kindly to that. Sit, he demanded. I swallowed the lump in my throat, lowering myself onto the living room carpet. Mr. Sag nodded and gently closed the front door behind himself. We were drenched in darkness. The sole source of light was the TV which still droned on in the background. As terrifying as the man's appearance was, only being able to make out his crooked outline was arguably even worse. The walking cadaver stood by the entrance hall for a good while before finally shambling toward me. Each labored step sent chills running down my spine. My mind cycled through different and progressively bleaker scenarios. His joints made a disgusting pop as he knelt down directly in front of me. My nose burned, assaulted by the stench of mold and decay. One half of his ghastly face became illuminated by the bluish light emanating from the TV, whereas the rest of him remained shrouded. 
He then reached into his pockets, producing bottle cap after bottle cap and placing them down between us. Is that what this is all about? Look, I'm sorry. We, We were just kids. We didn't know any better. The gaunt man shook his head. He cared little for my excuses. After having arranged all 20 caps, he pulled back and waited for me to shuffle them. It's not like I had much of a choice. The ultimatum was clear. Win, and presumably get to live, lose, or refuse to play, and get your brains bashed in by an undead crowbar-wielding maniac. The rancid abomination sitting across from me and I both selected our four caps and then discreetly confirmed our scores. My ears pulsated in tandem with the thumping in my chest. I'd pulled a 10, a 20, and two 25s, meaning that my total score was 80. Round numbers are generally not considered ideal since they're the easiest to guess. I was already off to a bad start. Mr. Sag took the liberty of going first. Fifty. A predictable choice. Not too close, but not as far off as I would have liked. Now it was up to me to decide whether it was worth steering him away from the mark. Higher, I confessed after a few agonizing seconds of deliberation. He nodded. It was my turn. I didn't know where to start, so I just went with 50 as well. Lower, he murmured. To my knowledge, nobody had ever beaten him fair and square. I very much doubted I was going to be the first. The goal was to survive long enough to come up with some sort of escape plan. 60 was his subsequent guess. Higher, I replied with even less confidence than before. I should have lied, but for some reason I again found myself unable to. It was my turn again. Thirty. There wasn't a single feature of his that I could reliably read. It was like playing against a statue. Lower. If he was being truthful, then my only remaining choices were 20, which was the lowest possible score one can have, and 25, assuming, of course, that he hadn't been leading me astray from the start. Seventy. I was pushed against a corner. How was I expected to keep a straight face with the pale mask of death staring literally right at me? His next turn would have almost certainly been my last if I didn't think of a way to stall. I could have pretended like he was wrong, but there was this lingering feeling in my gut that he would have known regardless if I was willing to admit it right away or not. Suddenly I recalled something detail I've been clinging on to ever since what happened at that intersection. I doubted that bringing it up would make a difference, but it was worth a shot, especially if it bought me some more time. Who is 
she. I saw him tense up despite the timidness of my inquiry. Noting his reaction, I pressed the matter further, this time with a marginally more emphatic pitch to my tone. Back then, you said she won't let you go. What does that mean? Mr. Sag looked down at the unfortunate state of his body. He ran a finger along the wires that bound its shriveled tissue together. There was a deep sense of regret, melancholy that reflected his sunken eyes. I was a boy, about the same age as you were when I first met. I was tired of always losing. He paused after every sentence, as if expecting some malevolent force to strike him down. And when nothing happened, he carried on. Always the loser, <laughs> never the winner. He chuckled dryly. But then, she came to me. He leaned in, cupping one side of his mouth while his clouded pupils darted warily about. His breath caused bile to rise in the back of my throat. I felt compelled to also check my surroundings, but saw nothing in the darkness that encompassed us. And then my eyes fell upon the crowbar that lay across his lap unattended. My palm began to itch. Lady Luck, he whispered. She offered me a deal, and I took it. Now she won't let me go until, knowing that I was unlikely to get another opening, I reached forth, snatched the steel bar, and dug its bent claw into the side of the corpse's neck. It was enough to knock him over. I crawled back until my shoulders hit a wall and slowly rose to my feet. There was no blood. It was like his skin was made of paper. Once the initial shock had subsided and I noticed him reaching for the tool embedded in his neck, I grabbed one of my mom's decorative pots from the counter and smashed it against his skull before running for the door. I stumbled down a single flight of stairs and to my surprise and great relief found two officers waiting for me at the bottom. All three of us heard the sound of glass shattering. When the cops went up to investigate, they only found a broken window. They searched the alleyways and then the whole block, but predictably discovered nobody matching my intruder's description. Of course, I spared them the more unbelievable parts of my account. They would have probably assumed that I was high if I told them that some Frankenstein's monster-looking bastard had broken into my home and forced me to play caps with him. I never heard from Cooper again. He was the one who rang the cops, so I can only presume that they had some questions for him as well. If they did, I was never informed of the outcome. He'd moved several times since we lost contact, so I had no idea where to find him. For all I know, Mr. Sag could have gone back and finished the job, though I doubt that. If he wanted to just straight up kill either of us, he would have done it. In fact, I don't think he was ever the real villain to begin with. He was but a symptom of something far more malevolent that's still out there, preying on the unsuspecting and gullible among us. It's been over two 
have been through a divorce, married again, had two kids that are currently in their preteens. This is the first time I'm telling my story exactly how it happened. Why am I bringing it up now, you ask? It was my turn to drive the kids to school this morning. My daughter had forgotten her backpack, so I went up to her room to fetch it. When I picked it off the floor, however, I felt something jiggle in one of the side pockets. The sound was all too familiar. I looked inside. What I found were exactly 20 bottle caps, each with a number written on the inside of it. I think we'll need to have a talk. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed tonight's story. I know I did. I really liked it. It's very, it's very different than anything I've ever really read before. I've personally never heard of the game Caps, but I'm also from the U.S., so maybe it's not something that's common here. We don't have a lot of bottled drinks that have removable caps, unless it's alcohol, and obviously kids can't get a hold on that. We do have glass Cokes and things like that, but they're mostly only found in gas stations and no one ever buys them. They just get the bottles, the regular bottles. So I guess my question would be, have you ever played this game? Have you ever heard of it? Have you ever done anything similar to it? What are some other fun, silly games that you used to play as a kid that your parents maybe didn't necessarily agree with? (laughs) I never did anything like this, nothing that would ever get me addicted to gambling or anything like that, but We did wrestle a lot on the trampoline. We were big WWE, WWF fans, I should say. And we thought we were professionals. Couple sprained wrists, couple pulled muscles, all that good stuff. Tons of fun, though. Truly. (laughs) Uh, Let me know what you did as a kid. I'd love to know. And like I said, let me know if you're familiar with any other games like this. This one does sound fun, to be honest, but... Maybe I'll I'll pass after hearing this story. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you had a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. As you can hear, I'm still a little stuffy, but I'm definitely getting much better. But anyway, again, thanks for listening, and I will see you all very soon with a brand new video. Take care, everyone.